Welcome to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast with your host, Trent M. Clark, three-time World Series coach, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneur, having started 12 companies, coach to the 1%, and an international speaker. This show is going to be your go-to podcast for facing adversity, being inspired, and overcoming obstacles, all from the best in the world, business, sports, and leadership. Hate the crappy ingredients in many beverages and energy drinks? Rebellious Infusions are the go-to functional beverage. They have five or fewer plant-based organic ingredients. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system. And L-thionine for brain health. Rebellious Infusions are available at drinkrebellious.com. Rethink your drink. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Hello and welcome to the Winners Find a Way show. I am your host, Trent Clark. And I am super excited to have another great show with my good friend, Casey Cavell of Casey Cavell Inc. What's up, Case? What's going on, Trent? Good to be here. Man, it is good to be here. I am the CEO of Leadershipity and Athletic Influencer Marketing, an NIL education firm. I am also an international speaker, obviously a podcast host. And probably most people know me because I am a longtime coach in professional baseball coaching in three World Series. And so excited because Casey's a baseball guy. Casey, tell them where they can find you. Gosh, where can they find me? Well, today I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, but I'm a baseball guy. Played small college baseball. I tried really hard and I worked really hard. I didn't have the skill set and the talent and the body that some of my friends that played professional baseball. But I don't want to say that's not why I made it because you got guys that are five foot seven in the big leagues now. Yeah. So for anyone looking out there, Casey Cavell Inc. Is that your website? Yeah, just CaseyCavell.com. Check me out there. We got a podcast, Dugout CEO, helping people become MVPs in what they do, both in the boardroom and at home. So that's kind of fun as well. Love that. You're on LinkedIn. And are you doing the Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff? Just I'm all over. Just type in Casey Cavell. I'm on all the platforms, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all that kind of fun stuff. They'll find you. There we go. All right. Well, I'm super excited to get going today. A small college player out at Goshen you know, powerhouse over in Indiana there, Goshen College of a very small group, but like, hey man, we were talking about this, like winning a conference title with 15 players is no joke. Being right at the top of it is no easy feat. Yeah, I tell people we're the Florida state of the North, right? And maybe they chuckle a little bit, but yeah, we're in Northern Indiana. We're having to shovel snow. We're having to be the grounds crew and the maintenance crew and all of it. I just wanted to play. I didn't want to go sit on a roster of 40 guys and who knows if I was going to get in the game. I knew I could go there and make an impact. And I took six of the guys that I played high school baseball with and we all went there and yeah, had a roster of 15 a couple decades ago and we had a great time with it. That's incredible. I mean, it's just incredible when you talk about I love some of the Division Three NAIA baseball because I absolutely see young athletes, men, women alike, in any sport they choose. They're doing this because they absolutely have a passion for playing. They love to be involved with teams. They're not coming out going, hey, listen, I'm going to star at Nelson Tech, and then I'm going to go on to play for the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> you know, like, there is a little reality. Like, hey, the Big 12, Big 10, Pac-12 didn't call. Like, I get it. And but they love the game being a part of that team. Was that your experience with most of your teammates? I think so. We just love playing. I think it all hit us probably our freshman year where it's like, I don't know if we're big leaguers, but we just love the game. And gosh, I got guys now I'm 38 now. I still got buddies that are playing in these men's leagues, which I had to give up, right? I was just like, hey, if I can't be really good at what I do, I'm out. But people just love the game. I love that. And I have that too. And you know, people ask me to play all the time still. I'm like 53 years old, man. I probably don't look 53. So like people are like, hey man, join our over 25 league. <laughs> like, hey man, like I like actually my arm attached to my body. I mean, I find that really attractive. And after surgery, like I don't know if I throw a ball hard a few times, if it might just detach at this age. Like, you know, there may be no tendon ligament left in that whole thing, man. It may be cooked. All right. So this is the, you get injured in college and you head off to Purdue, going to study entrepreneurship there, right? And you're like, hey, I want to be my own business owner. Did you know that at a young age? My dad kind of did some things business-wise and had some investments and built some businesses and did some the right way and did some maybe not the right way. And he kind of had the freedom of schedule. So I'm like, I want that. I don't necessarily want to I want to work when I want to work and all that. So it was kind of in my bones, my great grandparents, my grandparents, they were entrepreneurs. So it's kind of in my DNA. 
Well, I think the other thing that most people don't see about like ranchers and then in Indiana, farmers, farmers are big time entrepreneurs, right? I mean, when you're in cultures like this, they are absolutely buying major capital assets. I don't know if anyone's been down to the John Deere, you know, factory, but like those tractors are not cheap. man. And I watch farmers come in paying hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash to buy tractors. Like it's no joke. You really have to manage your business to stay afloat in that game. Sure thing. Absolutely. Those are some of the smartest people that I know that they're just down to earth, but they're really smart. And you're not going to see them on Twitter or Instagram or having a hundred thousand followers, but they build a really good business that serves their life. And that's where I think like, I work a lot with business owners and it's like, people are building something for who knows what reason, but like farmers and people in you know the heartland of America, they just want to have a great lifestyle. They want to have a great family. They don't want to be stressed out and maxed out. And some farmers are some of the best people I know. All right. Let's take it back to one thing that they know you're a business coach because you bought a bunch of companies, you got a bunch of equity and over a dozen plus now today. So you are a investor, you are a, a mentor and a coach and a guide for a lot of people who, who want to be great. And I love that because as a coach myself, I really just have a lot of honor for that, Casey. So what most people don't know about you, Casey, is that when you left Purdue, you got into poker play and became the youngest professional poker player out there on a tour. Is that right? That's it. What? 2003, I graduated high school. There was this guy named Chris Moneymaker. If anybody remembers, the World Series of Poker was on ESPN. It was televised and like his name was Moneymaker and everybody's like, this is great. If he can do it, I can do it. We kind of think that's true, but at the end of the day, it's hard. Kind of like baseball. There's one out, Jose Altuve out there that's 5'6". Everybody else is 5'6". They just didn't make it. Well, just yeah. because he made it, I can make it. And I think a lot of people felt that with poker. And the thing that I did that most don't do, whether it's in business or life or poker, was I just became a student of the game. Most people, they think poker, it's gambling, which it is a little bit. But there's ways to gain an edge, just like in baseball. If you study, if you know your opponent, if you show up, you're fueled, right? You're rested, you're ready. You know the ins and outs of the game. And that's what I did. And I ended up becoming, yeah, World Series of Poker, main event, played in it when I was 21 and a couple days old, qualified online for like 100 bucks and lived that Las Vegas lifestyle in my early 20s. And it was it was wild. I'm glad I don't have to do it again, for sure. Like, man, I want to live the Las Vegas lifestyle. Like, I tell a lot of people that after being in, you know, professional sports where I watched 20, 21 year olds get handed very significant multi million dollar contracts, I told a lot of people, like, you know, I don't know how I would have been if I'd have been 21 years old and someone would have handed me a $40 million deal, right? And I'd have been like, hey, Clark's off the reservation over here, man. Like, I could see myself not have that came from a good family, you know, hope that you think that that would guide you and everything else. But man, I knew what was right and wrong. But at 21 years old, money makes some silly decisions of us when we just kind of have it laying around, right? So true. And, you know, I think the winner of that tournament, I did not win it, but got 10 million bucks. And if you would have gave me 10 million bucks as a 21 year old, who knows what would have happened. And that's where I think a lot of people in life, they're always like, woulda, shoulda, coulda, or what if, or if I would have done this instead of this, like life would be better. And you don't know that. And that's where I think it's just wherever you're at today is where you're at. Whatever's happened to you has happened to you. And although, Hey, I wish I would have maybe won, or I wish I would have done this. Like, I'm like, it's okay because it turned out I learned, I met some people and I'm better for it. And that's allowed me not to get too hard on myself when things don't go the way I want them to go or whatever. Well, I think it's a big deal. And, and I think there is a real value in the lessons, right? These trials that we have. I mean, I'm a big, I, I read the Bible. I mean, I, I love James as he talks about the trials, right? James 1, 2, man, consider pure joy, these trials as it shapes you. I got the same so, verse right on my desk here, James 1, 2, and 3, and you just quoted it. That's awesome. That is cool, Case. I mean, I tell you, it's one of those things. Here's an example to point to. There's like a huge percentage of lottery winners that life goes to hell after they win this lottery, right? Like their families don't talk to you anymore. How come, hey man, you won 80 million. How come you didn't give me one? <laughs> like, uh, you know, I paid taxes. I only actually kept like 40, right? <laughs> like, you know, like it's odd. And I, you know, I deserve that money. I was a good friend to you. There's a lot of things that change, I think, for people when stuff like this happens. And it's tough. I remember the Garth Brooks song, right? Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. 
right? Because I'm thinking, oh man, this could be awesome. This could be great for me. This could be great for me. And then, man, you get what you're hoping for and praying for. And that may lead to a lot of temptation. It may lead to divorce. It may lead to all sorts of things, you know, financial ruin that you just don't see coming because this deal is so good. It's got to be good, right, Casey? We're all in and there's no way we could lose all our money, right? Yep, that's it. And some of those things that don't work out the way you want, they teach you the things that you need to be taught. And yeah, God has his way of working things out the right way. Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's talk about winners when shown data that they are losing find a way to win. The quote on the winners find a way show from the four disciplines of execution. Let's talk about this as a kid. Like, man, did you always know like, hey, I'm going to own businesses? I mean, you're a young guy. Did you grow up in Indiana? Yeah, I did. I grew up in Indiana and my dad was kind of entrepreneurial. My great grandfather started a very successful food business, right? And gosh, I don't know, 19 something, right? And he passed it on and he passed it on. I think eventually it got to my dad. And I saw him build some really cool, amazing businesses and things. And then I saw some of the things that he did didn't work out the way that, you know, he wanted them to work out. And it took a little bit of a toll on us as a family. But I saw the things that worked. I'm like, hey, that's cool. That's fun. He never missed a baseball game. I mean, he was fantastic. He was there for all my things, right? But I also saw some things that didn't work out and some of the challenges. And I said, if I could take the best of what he does and just do more of that, then I'm going to be in really good shape. But it, it kind of like made me almost unhealthy in a way because I like had to like prove. And in business, it's not, hey, I'm just going to do those things he did well and just keep doing those because I made mistakes. And when you made those mistakes, you get down on yourself and you get down mm-hmm. on yourself, you're hard on yourself. And sometimes you just get to that point where you're just like, I can't do this. I'm going to give up. But thankfully, I was able to surround myself with some really good people in my career, learn from my mistakes and allow myself to learn from other people's mistakes rather than my own. And I think that's what really wise people do. So I kind of had that DNA of being my own kind of boss per se, kind of in me. That's awesome, Casey. Let's kind of dive into some of the challenges, right? What was one of those first challenges in businesses that you remember like, Hey, this is what, I mean, we're all, we all want to know where we're going for and we write it up like, Oh, it's going to go perfect. A, B, C, D, boom, right down the line. I know this is exactly how it's going to work. And then you get in this and this is one of those businesses that's probably near and dear to your heart. You're going to do a baseball academy and like, Oh, of course I know this, man. I know this world. I was in these as a kid and I get it. Like this is going to be simple turnkey for me. Yeah. I bought a D-bat baseball and softball franchise. They were a younger ish and now they have a hundred and something locations, but I was, I think their seventh or eighth franchise. And I bought the license and bought out an existing all sports complex in middle of Atlanta, kind of the Buckhead district. I implemented the business. We built it. And, you know, the first year we did well, like we, you know, it was a multi-million dollar business. We did well, but I was working extremely hard. Now, that first year, I realized I was just working really hard, but not smart. The second year, I started working smart, meaning I didn't know who our customer was. I didn't know the easiest way to serve our customer. I didn't know how to hire the right people. I didn't know how to equip and empower the right people. So I burnt out a lot of people. And what that ended up meaning was I had to do all the work because everybody else was burnt out. They were quitting. They were going and finding something else. So I had to do all the right work. So although we were a successful business on paper, we won franchise of the year award. And I think our second year, and there was probably 20 or 25 locations at the time. But I remember like being gone. And when I came back, like nothing was getting done. Why? It's because I did not have leaders, right? That I empowered to do the job. I did not teach them like the system or the process that they needed to be taught in order to do the job without me. So Trent, I burn out. I mean, I was probably 18, 20 months into it. And I remember telling my dad, I'm like, I just want to lock up the doors because I just couldn't go to work anymore. And it was tough. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about burnout. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people go through this and even one of the things that's interesting is you talk about burning even people out on your team, right? And, and you're driving for these numbers. You're driving for, Hey, franchise of the year. Yeah. Like we got our goals and we're going to do this thing. And, and I do think people do want to be a part of a winner until the price gets imbalanced, right? Like until the price of it costs so much to either family, health, whatever the price you got to pay for it is, gets imbalanced. And then you're like, 
man, there's there's other winning organizations I could be a part of and not lose my spouse on this one because they're ready to walk out the door because I'm never home or my kids are, you know, missing me and blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's a lot of things that could go wrong there. So walk me through a little bit of the burnout from both team members and then for yourself as an ownership that you see. So I think there's burnout, but we got to figure out why do you get burnout to begin with? And for me in my specific situation, I was not focusing my energy and efforts on the things that really mattered. So Pareto's principle, if you've heard about it, the 80-20 rule, where it's like sure. 20% of your activities produce 80% of your results. 20% of your customers drive 80% of the revenue, right? Yeah. And early on, I was going after everybody that played baseball, everybody that played softball. I was trying to run an adult baseball camp and go after slow pitch softball leagues and serve the travel ball baseball player. So in business, I think a lot of people get burnt out because they're spending their time on things that ultimately they shouldn't or that don't move the needle. And eventually I figured out a way to spend my time in the business doing things that one, I love to do, but two, that really move the needle. And then when I did that, I realized I got better results and the better results you get kind of gives you that energy back because you see the progress. But when you work really hard and you don't see the results, that's when you get burnt out. I realized I was working hard and not seeing results because I was working hard on the wrong things. And that's what I think a lot of people, myself included today, still do because it's hard because there's so many things you can do. It's really hard to prioritize which ones actually make a difference. So that's why like I have somebody like every other week, like looks at my calendar and make sure I'm doing the right things because it's really hard. But that is what led to burnout. But when I actually reached that point, like it was almost too late because once you reach it, you can't just like, hey, I'm burnt out and take two days off. That's right. That means you're exhausted or you're tired. But if you're burnt out, like your engine's done. Like at that point, you need a miracle. So I think it's important for people to ask themselves, like, what are the signs? How do you know you're getting there? And for me, whether you're running a business or a team, or if you're a coach, it's like, can you take a couple of weeks off and things are still going to get done without you? And if the answer is no, like be careful because that could be leading you to be the person that actually has to do everything. And when you have to do everything, when you have to pitch and catch, I mean, I look at Otani, I'm scared to death. that the Cubs are going to sign him next year. I'm a Cubs fan. <laughs> Because I'm like, okay, they're going to give him 600 million. That's great. And he's going to be awesome to watch. But it's like, is he worth it? What if that blister like never heals? What if his elbow goes out again? Yeah. Like that just seems like still a seems- great hitter. That's what happens. He's still a great hitter. You know, LA is getting him in New York, right? Like you got to have a major market. You know, Magic Johnson is going to flash his big smile and he's going to sign in that Dodger blue or he's going to go to a Yankee and go for the pinstripe and cut his hair tight and and he's going to be fine. But it's going to be tough to get him in the in the friendly confines of Wrigley. It might be. And you know what? They're they're building a little bit different than the Dodgers and the Yankees. And hey, the Yankees, they do that kind of stuff, right? And they go and get the best, which I think there's something to say to that. But I think yeah. there's also something like building people around each other because there's been so much pressure if we're talking baseball, right? The Angels, they've had one star player that they give all the money to. And I think in business or life, like you got to surround yourself with really good people So you don't have to be the only one like making it happen. And that's what I think would have prevented me from burning out. But what got me out of burnout was that exact same thing, bringing other people in, telling them that I was burnout, telling them I need help and being open and realize I don't have all the answers. Yeah, it's a good point. Like when, you know, when people ask me about the O2 championship, right? They always go, oh yeah, that roster, like, yeah, Vlad Guerrero. And I'm like, oh yeah, he wasn't there yet. (laughs) Like we didn't have a star. Like we didn't have like this, huge person of that was just like that Ken Griffey Jr., you know, that just kind of go-to icon that was, I mean, at the time, the number one guy was Bonds, right? And of course, we saw him in the in the World Series and and he's bigger than life, but they had a really good team to support him, by the way, in that series. We just had a couple of breaks go our way, but man, it's exactly right. Trying to build that organization with the lead dog and then kind of everybody else like, Hey, Sheila's fabulous. That's all we need is Sheila. And we got a couple other people, you know, like that is never going to play very well inside an organization, especially for sustainability, right? You could hit a one season wonder, but unlikely to be sustainable. And I, and I think it's the danger of a team putting too much on Otani too. Like, Oh, he's going to pitch and throw and hit home runs. And we could have him catching by the end of the year. <laughs> like, yeah. 
you, know, you put too much leverage on that one dude, man. Like you're right. They could absolutely burn him up. So, yeah. you know, when you start talking about, let's talk about the struggle. You know, you kind of alluded to it earlier. You, you get burnout. I believe fatigue makes cowards of us all. And when the fatigue gets in, typically, and you and you really let up this really well, right? There's a couple signs that you see. And, you know, one of the signs I see is like, when I don't want Monday to come, that's a concern for me, right? Yeah. When I'm like starting to go, I'm starting to dread Mondays. That's, I'm not where I should be because, oh, work's got to start. I contribute to a lot of things in this life. And in order for them to go well, I need to be at my best and I need to be ready to contribute. And if I'm not, if I'm not mentally there and Monday's coming like, ah, I don't want to do it. You know, like you say that, I, I remember reading the thing like, hey, if you say like, you don't want to be doing it three days in a row, it's time to look for something else. I was like, wow, three days, that's it. Like, hold on, man. So I think the, the, the example that you made about burnout Hey, if you don't have someone who can run the show for two weeks while you're gone, that's a serious red flag. That is an alarm bell that should be sounding in your ear. Similar to, I would think, like a financial advisor saying, hey, man, if you don't have six months put away right now, like there's a little of alarm going on that if anything bad happens, you could be at risk, right? And so that's a serious risk of our mental health, our physical health, our business's health a lot of things. Anything else on burnout that you think like are telltale signs? Gosh, I think you hit it. I think that Monday thing's good. I actually felt that maybe eight months ago-ish when I was helping a client and I was a little bit more involved in this client's business, but it was like, okay, Monday's coming. And we had a Monday standing 9am and I started feeling that like on Sunday afternoon and I never felt that before. And what that told me was, is that Monday meeting, either one, I didn't like working with that team. Like it wasn't a value fit because yeah. you got to love who you work with or you're going to burn out. Or it's like the work I'm doing on that Monday, like it's not what I should be doing because I don't think you should be doing things that you don't like to do or at least love to do. Now in business as an entrepreneur, you have to probably do some things like you might not want to, but you're at least good at it or you're the only one, but there's yeah. got to be like a 70-30. Like 70% of your time has got to be doing stuff that you're good at or you like doing, Right. But if you're spending more than 30% of your time on doing things that you're like, you know what, I'm good at it, but I don't want to, or I just don't like doing it, you're going to burn out. So I think that 70-30 is kind of a good balance. Yeah, I love that. I love that. We do that a lot in leadership where we take a quadrant and we, and we have the like line, right? Like here's the like line and we list all the tasks over your month of the things you have to do. And you actually have to hone in on like important tasks that you're doing over the month. And this quadrant of this, the top left always is what I love doing, gives me a bunch of energy. And it's probably what you're most famous for, right? Like, oh my gosh, Casey's so good that everybody knows it, right? And then there's the one I'm really good at, also gives me energy. I enjoy it. It's fine. Like, it's not what I'm dreaming about, but always like doing it fine. Then there's the below the like line. And that and that bottom left quadrant is the danger zone to me because you're good at it. You don't like doing it. And it takes a bunch of energy. And so here was a story from a couple of years back. We had a COO who was awesome and the board, I mean, just an awesome operator. I mean, the ultimate implementer, this is the ultimate right hand, just a doctorate in GSD, right? Man, he just got stuff done and, and it always came out great. I mean, just very systematic process and thoughtful organization to align things. And so he would really work with the visionary and then boom, I mean, he would just make it come alive and it was special. But in the same breath, he'd been doing that very well for 20 years and was like, hey, I think I've earned the CEO role. I think I've earned this chief executive officer and a visionary role. I've got some ideas and that was really great. And so he was in the role about six months and they brought me in to work with him and it was not going well. (laughs) And, And I had him do that exercise. And I said, okay, here's the thing. I said, you've got to circle the five most important things that you have to do that just absolutely required of you. And four of them were below the line. Yeah, that'll do it. And I was like, you're going to be fired in like six months. And he was like, oh, like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, this is like what I've been waiting for my whole life. And I'm like, I totally appreciate that. But no one else is going to tell you when I have to. Like, this is going to continue to suck for you. Because this is fatiguing you mentally, physically, sometimes morally. 
right? Because I'm doing things like I don't really agree with and I have to go out and give the company line. And I'm like thinking I need to be in the factory making sure widgets go out. Like I don't want to be talking to the press. It's like, yeah, I appreciate it, man. But it's not going to go. And I got to tell you, the, the company did one of the best things I'd ever seen. They backed out of it. They really, with a lot of dignity and a lot of humanity, they rolled it back and put him back into a role. And the person they, they put in that role, they really gave that person a lot more responsibility and put this person on kind of like a seven-year retirement plan to really run it and eventually hold, really transfer that skill to this other person and a great sustainability and succession plan and didn't lose this person, which you know, Casey, how many times have you seen this? And people go, oh, well, it didn't work out. We got to get rid of uh, Stephanie. I'm like, Wait, Stephanie kicked butt around here for 25 years. Why don't you get rid of Stephanie? Well, we put her in a new role. It didn't work. I'm like, okay. But like, she kicked butt for 25 years. Why would you stop? Like, everyone loves her, man. Like, and I see that with groups. And I'm just like, what are we thinking? Sure. It's crazy. So let's talk a little bit about that because I want to pivot to Purpose. You've really pivoted really well in your life to, hey, I want to invest in businesses that I want to do work with and organizations that I'd like to be a part of and people that share probably your values. And you can see the values replicated and managed daily inside those organizations. Talk to me about your purpose and how that looks today and how you've changed. Yeah, we have a family kind of statement have a fun and simple life put family first and work as a team. So that's kind of like our family mission statement, purpose. We got a Bible verse, John 15, five to go along with it. But it's just around like, look, life's complicated. Let's make it simple. This world's distracting. This world's complicated. Let's make it simple. Like put family first. So that allows me an opportunity whenever I have a new opportunity or a new client or get asked to do a new speaking engagement or whatever. Am I really putting family first? Am I taking on too many clients? Am I taking on too much risk in my investment portfolio? Like I look at everything through the lens of, am I putting my family first? Now, sometimes that means working 60, 80 hour weeks, but maybe it's the next week working 10 hour weeks and I need to take a three day vacation and literally turn off my phone. So I think everybody needs some kind of purpose statement for their business, but also their life. And I realize most people, they have one for their business or value statement for their company or mission statement for their company. But it's like, do you have one for your family? Because I think that's what business is supposed to do. It's supposed to provide for your family. But it's like, if you don't define what your purpose is inside your family first, then how do you know like what kind of business you should have and what are you trying to do? So that's what I try to do. And funny story. So when we looked at have a fun and simple life, we were about to have our second child and I bought a motorhome after we had our first child because I was like, a motorhome, this is great. We can take it wherever. I can work in the motorhome. We can travel. We can do these things. Well, when baby number two came, we were like, that ain't fun and that ain't simple. Traveling around with two <laughs> kids in a motorhome. And we got rid of that thing so quick, right? Because we realized it's not fun and it's not simple, right? And putting my family first was get rid of that thing because my wife hated it. So it allowed us opportunities to think through every big decision, every stress, every struggle, every desire and dream through a lens. And that lens allows us to make decisions. Yeah, I love that. I mean, John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. But I love that idea of the team, right? Because we all need one another. I mean, people going alone find out it's an empty island, right? And it doesn't go well. And And I tell you, I have been like, I don't know how many times. You know, and these are these are self-talk things I look for, by the way, in burnout. Like, stop the world, I want to get off. When I say that to myself twice in a week, that's a problem. And that's a, it's an issue that I may be facing some burnout. And the other one I, I watch for in myself is self-talk. Is it Friday yet? Anytime before Wednesday. <laughs> like, if I'm saying that, like, man, I come out of a meeting and you and I just like, man, that went all the wrong way. And here comes Casey trying out of the meeting. And I look to you and I'm like, man, is it Friday yet? And it's Monday afternoon. Like, that's <laughs> not good. That's that kind of little things that tells me, man, are you, are you doing really what you should be doing? And sometimes it's funny, right? Sometimes it's just humor to lighten the load after things not going the direction and the way you'd hoped. But sometimes when I'm, especially when I'm saying it to myself, if I'm saying it to you, we're probably 
trying to create levity to a rough situation, right? That's it. But if I'm saying it to myself, it's now me having pretty poor self-talk in my opinion. How have you managed some of the self-talk for you over the years? I'm rough with it. It's hard. I'm hard on myself and I've had to work through that because I think growing up, I was always told like, you're not good enough or you're not. So that truly impacted me to go and prove you got to be good enough. You got to be, but no matter how good you do, somebody else is always better. It's just the way it is, right? It's impossible. It's why Elon Musk looks up to Jeff Bezos and Jeff Bezos looks up to I don't even know who's above Jeff Bezos anymore. And maybe right, Elon Gates, Gates cuz he was there first. That's all. <laughs> yeah, but Gates is, you know, was married for 30 years and now he's divorced. I'm like, yeah. I don't want to be married for 30 years and in a divorce and people that have gone through divorce like and I've experienced it now as a son of parents that recently got divorced after 40 years of marriage. Like, I mean, I want to live a life and a life not only good in my 20s and 30s and 40s but forever. So I think self-talk for me, it's like, it's the start. Like you got to believe it in yourself first, right? And you got to talk about that with somebody. Cause if you don't deep down believe like I am, I am good enough. I am great. I can do this. Gosh, who's the guy, Thomas, he calls himself the best motivational speaker in the world. So I had a chance to spend some time. I can't believe I don't even remember his first name, but I remember what he said which is he just said the I am. You have to have the I am statement, I am. And a lot of people answer that question, I am not good enough. I am bad at this. I am this. I am a failure. I Well, you're screwed. You're done. Like It, it is not possible to say, I am not going to be able to hit a curveball here. I suck at hitting a curveball and then hit a curveball. Like You just can't do it. And whether it's a curveball that a baseball pitcher is throwing you or a curveball at life, like I am good enough. I am the best. I am. And once you believe in yourself, it just starts coming out. So why don't people believe that? Why do people have that negative self-talk? I think it's because of other people have said stuff to them in the past. Other things have been done to them in the past. And you got to figure out a way to forgive yourself, forgive others. And this is not something you can just listen to this podcast and just like do. But I think the people's past hold them back. And until you deal with some of that stuff, like it is impossible. And it took me years of deep like coaching and counseling to get through some of the stuff that was said to me. Because you look at all these people, Trent, that are super successful at this or they're really good at this. You go back and there's like patterns and good percentage of people. Well, my middle school teacher said this or my high school coach said this. Oh, yeah. And it's like, man, they are... K on the outside, or they might have the World Series ring, or they might have the banner or whatever. But like deep down inside, they're still trying to prove it. It's, yeah, it's, it's tough. Hey, stop talking about me, Casey. Yes, <laughs> no, I mean that's it, right? Like it's always. But you know, I think about that as is it positive? Is it negative? It's been a driver for me my whole life, right? Because I do look uh, like Altuve, right? And so when I think about that, man, I'm like. Hey, if I didn't have that in my life, would I have been as driven as I grew up being having people tell me, no, you know, you're not, you're not good enough. You're not fast enough. You're not strong enough. And I think there's, is that voice. I am not enough. And man, that's a dangerous ground when you start telling yourself that. Right. And so, I mean, case, I mean, people look at you, you're, you're super successful outside. Like, man, you got a beautiful home, beautiful family. Everything's tracking. You got an RV for small children. It's awesome. Right. And look at this and you're like, Hey, are there days you still fill in that blank? I am worthless to this group right now. I'm not helpful to my family. I'm a bad dad today. Like do you still fill that. I am with negatives. From time to time. Absolutely. Yeah. And when I mean from time to time, I mean, from hour to hour, like, Whatever I read online or whatever text message comes through or whatever I see, like that's just the world, but it's taking those thoughts captive, right? And it's like, what else do I need? And by the way, we got rid of that motorhome, that thing, never buy one. I don't care who you are, unless you're like fully retired and have time to like be a mechanic, those things, I mean, oh my gosh, because I realized I was not a good RV owner and that was legit like real talk and I got rid of that thing, but Sorry about that tangent, but like it is like no matter what I read or who I'm around, I always have that I'm not good enough because I think that's just the world we live in. The world is always telling you you're behind schedule, you're off track, and it's like what schedule are you off? Like what are you off track of? And that's why my wife and I tried to keep this 
phrase, right? Have a fun and simple life and put family first and work as a team. Cause it makes me realize like I am on track. I'm doing good. We do some fun things. We simplified our life. We've gotten rid of a motor home. We're almost going to buy a vacation home. We just realized Airbnb so much easier. No stress, <laughs> yeah. no insurance, no this. If the hurricane comes, I don't care, right? It's okay. It's somebody else's house. Somebody else has to worry about it. Yeah, and like I, me. Just, I have those. <laughs> which I'm sure for a lot of people, they're awesome to have. And I'm sure they could make money or I'm sure they could afford you a better life. But for us and our lifestyle is just like simplify life, put family first, like enjoy it. I was just out with my daughter the other day playing in those little blue, you know, $15 bath or pools that you buy at Walmart. Yeah. I'm like, she's so happy. Like yeah. I'm going to tell her this is the Bellagio in Las Vegas and this is the pool. Enjoy it. Cause she doesn't <laughs> care. She just wants dad. She yeah. just wants dad to be there. Such a good example, Casey of us. Like, wow, we should build a Olympic training pool in the backyard and have a full 40 foot slide that goes into it. Like, wait, no, you don't need to go spend $85,000 on an in-ground pool. Your daughter loves the $15 blow-up pool that I just filled up with the hose. Like, it, it's fine. That's And, that's, uh, and go, that's and go build push. a pool if you have the financial means to do it and it's going to be fun. Go build the stinking thing, yeah. right? For me, I'd rather just get a membership at the local country club because I wouldn't even know how to maintain a pool, right? Yeah, and I right. wouldn't want to, you know, but it's like, those are things in my life that I've tried to realize, like, what does success look like? And then once I define it, then it's like, I know I'm doing good. And no matter what I read or see or whatever, I can just get rid of it and say, I'm not built like Jeff Bezos. I'm not supposed to be him. It's not a self-eliminating belief. It just is what it is. It's now what I want rather than, and it's who I am. Like, I want that. Yeah, it's awesome. I think bringing it back is what's happening to a lot of folks. They're really simplifying. And I think there's a new movement to eliminate things. You know, I, I love the stop, start, continue, right? And one of the things I did when I had kids like your age, Casey's, I would come home from work and I'm like, I got to stop having my phone in my hand. So I would come home from work. I would say a little prayer before I pull my driveway and get ready because now I'm, now I'm dad. Like no one cares what I own or what happened at the baseball game or what's going on in the business. No one cares, right? And so, and I also threw my cell phone in my glove box that I couldn't get until I put my kids down. And then, that was just a good tool for me. Like it worked, right? Like it worked to help me be engaged and be a part of my family as opposed to being distracted, which is so easy now. And so I think there's a lot of stops that we're, we've been told are all right. Like, yeah, don't worry about it. It's fine for you. And the reality is, is that over time, it hasn't been great for us. And we probably should cut things out in our lives a long time ago. And I think it's awesome that you're really getting that at an age with young kids. I think that's brilliant because I think a lot of people take a long time to figure that out. Yeah. If it, 20% of the things you do give you 80% of the joy in your life, right? Two, I'm sure if that's Pareto's principle. So it's like, yep. what do those things look like? The cell phone thing you did is great. I'm probably going to do that. I bought one of these boxes to put my phone in and you put a code on it and it opens after two hours. I was, like I said, I don't know how to fix the motorhome nor put together this little contraption, but the goal yeah. was put your phone in the box it locks it for two hours so you can stay present with your family. But I'm just going to leave my phone out in my office and go inside because you're right. Like what matters? Yeah. Being present wherever you are with whoever you are. And, you know, that little thing that you've done is something that I'm applying in a different, you know, way. But I think that's so important. Yeah, it's cool. Let's talk quickly. Let's pivot a little bit. I mean, you see, and you probably meet a lot of people along the way. Most entrepreneurs, founders, people that are in the 1% have gone through some trials. And no matter how much they've proven, like, I don't know if you've seen my yacht, my airplane, and my, you know, $400 billion company. You know, I remember Mrs. James telling me, like, I couldn't, you know, couldn't, I'd never amount to crap, right? Like, and I hear that with people all the time, right? And they still have that on their shoulder. But a lot of them are athletes, and we come from that athletic background. Let's talk quickly about the skills you've been able to transfer from a life growing up as a youth athlete to a college athlete, and some of those things now that you're applying into being a business owner, being an investor, being a dad, being a coach to other business owners. I think it's have a plan. Like, what is your plan? Like, anybody listening, what's the plan? And then maybe it's first, what's the vision? Like, what's the goal? What does yeah. success look like? I think it's easy in sports. You're like, what's the goal? It's to win the championship. It's to get the ring. 
And then it's, well, what's the plan to get the ring? And then the plan might be a multi-year plan that has multiple things that need to happen over a multi-year plan. And I think a lot of people just, they either set the vision, but then they don't work on the plan or they have some kind of plan, but it's not really working towards anything. And it's not really a good, smart plan. So for instance, think of something that we put together. Yeah. So when we bought our uh, baseball and softball academy, I wanted to be franchise of the year. All right. I wrote that down and we put that on our board and I would look at it, but then it's like, okay, step one, first 30 days, I need to learn from everybody that's already running these, or at least the top 10%. What are they doing to make it awesome? Okay. The next week or the next month, I'm going to implement some of those things the next month. So it's, I think it's, what's the goal for your life, for your business? Is it written down? Is that goal shared with other people, you know, because I do believe once you share a goal or a vision with somebody else that levels up kind of like accountability for self, because you've told somebody else you're doing it and for others to help you. And then, all right, well, you said it. What are you going to do this week? What are you going to do this month? What do you need to accomplish this quarter? And I think that's where people stop. And I was able to do that in sports and, you know, hired a strength and conditioning coach to work me out three days a week. In business, I hired a business coach and advisor, right, to help. And the people that I see that win in all aspects of life, they have somebody that is working with them on all aspects of their life. We just left and my wife and I went to marriage counseling earlier today, right? And I'm glad we have that person that's coaching us on our marriage. And I had a trainer that was at the gym at 7 a.m. today. And I have my virtual assistant who's coaching me on my, how to use my calendar. So I have three people I talked to today that are my coaches in different aspects of my life. So I think vision, goal, plan, and then people to hold you accountable and to help you in every aspect is really important. Yeah. Well, I think the other one that is really important that I, that I learned in sports, great methodology right here, is that it's unlikely to go exactly as I draw it up, right? I'm going to have to adapt and overcome it some places. It's not going to work out the way I'd hoped. And there's going to have to be some adjustments and and adaptability. And and that's kind of the thing that we did always in sports, right? You get a pitcher and you're like, whoa, this lefty's breaking ball is filthy. man. Like we got to make an adjustment here on what our approach is because my plan I started with was to come in and see the fireball righty 92 mile an hour and now we're in the fifth inning, we're to the lefty slurve guy who's throwing all sorts of just junk except yeah. the kitchen sink up at you. And the plan of looking hard and fast isn't going to play anymore. Like that is not going to serve. Yep. And so being, a, being able to adapt while, while we still maintain our vision and our goal of how it's going to get there the, over the overarching is how we're going to listen to our coaches because they're going to help us adapt to those things. Just like you said, Hey, I'm adapting my schedule because my coach is telling me this isn't really sustainable if you keep doing it. Like, I love that. What's probably the biggest skill you learned from sports that you utilize on the daily today that you felt like was so valued as you grew up? And then now in your work today with both your businesses and other people you're working with? I think preparation, I was really good at just preparing for every game and every practice. I always had a plan when I stepped on the field. You know, I worked out a lot by myself, but it wasn't just go in the cage and just do whatever. It was, this is what I'm going to work on. This is how many swings I'm going to get, right? I would lift. All right, well, what are you focusing on today? How many reps? And I think in business and in life, it's, I'm just really prepared. I mean, today's Monday, right? And I already have all my meetings planned for the rest of the week, who I'm talking to, how I'm supposed to encourage them or support them or what problems I need to solve on these meetings. I mean, every single hour of the day is scripted. And that doesn't mean I'm in stuff every hour of the day. I have blocks that I'm literally just resting or literally just catching up or whatever. So preparation is key in all aspects of life. Yeah, I love that, man. I love the line the former owner of the twins, he wrote a bunch of books and I'm trying to, I'm drawing a blank on his name for a second. Yeah. Google this one for me there, Casey. No, I was thinking the guy from the movie, little big league. What was his name? Billy something. Remember that movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't him obviously, but he, the guy who owned the, the twins was the, he owned an envelope company okay. and he wrote a bunch of books. Oh, Harvey he, McKay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Harvey McKay. And Harvey McKay had a great quote. 
He said, everybody wants to win the day of the game, but few are willing to prepare for it. There you go. I was like, man, that's the deal, right? Like everybody really wants, I, I want to win. I want to win. Well, what are you doing about it? Well, you know, I mean, you know, I'm going I'm to show up on Friday at eight o'clock. I'm like, well, listen, man, what do you think Casey's team's doing? Because they're getting ready for anything that's going to happen Friday. And they're preparing for everything that you're going to throw at them. In addition to having their team continue to be the best they can be, you're like, oh, so you think we probably won't win then? I'm like, yeah, I think I probably don't. Won't think you. They're preparing like they want to win, and and you're not, yeah. right? Like you're preparing like you'd like to win. That's awesome, but that's not really doing the preparation work, right? Sure. And I think he, man, he really hit that. Very few are willing to do the preparation that's required, and I think you got to prove that today, even with your work. You know, to be the best Casey Cavell, it's about, hey, I got to stay fit. So I, I work with my trainer, stay very focused, directed on what my goals and objectives are because they're they're literally paid to hold me accountable to that, right? And then I work with my VA, help direct my calendar and work with that. And that's critical to me being in the right place and the prep work. And then lastly, work with the, the counselor on your personal life and how you're doing that well and how that serves us and how we can maintain our, our open relationship and what we're working on and focus and, and our goals as a family. I mean, hitting on all cylinders case, doing it, getting her done. That's why you're the one percenter, bro. That's why right there. Yeah. And some days I probably am. And some days I'm not. And the days that I'm not, I give myself grace and hopefully my wife shows me mercy. Right. And the days that I do good, I go back and I say, well, why was today such a great day? And the days I don't, why did, why did today not go as planned? And Typically, it's probably I didn't prepare, honestly. Or Yeah. How does your wife respond being an entrepreneur's wife? I mean, you saw that in your mother. I mean, they were married 40 years. She yeah. lived the life with this man. And and like you said, some days were awesome. Like, it's incredible. The guy's at my three o'clock game. He doesn't have to worry about his company. He's got people getting her done. Obviously, some days weren't great. A, a plan gone awry, <laughs> right? And whether it failed to prepare or whatever. It's tough and it's tough on the family too. And, and, and mom's always there to catch the pieces. So there's a, there's a significance somewhere in this, whether it's wife, husband, spouse, whoever, right. And kids, everyone's involved. How, how does your wife manage it today? So we just had to communicate really well when I am going to be available for her and kind of, she hated me sending her calendar invites on my calendar. But yeah. she started liking it when she knew I would actually be where I said I was going to be when I said I was going to be there and I was actually going to be present. So I know at 6.30, I got to be inside because that's when we're having dinner. We're eating at 6.30, so I have at least a 30-minute break. So I think that's the biggest thing is just making sure she knows when she's going to have me and only me. And then it's hard sometimes. And she understands that I struggle, but really, she didn't grow up with anything, right? She grew up, she has 12 brothers and sisters, right? Ooh. Grew up, you know, kind of at poverty level. Yeah. So it's like, she just wanted time and attention. She wanted a roof over her head, but family was really important to her. So like, that's why put family first is in our kind of mission statement. Like it's not have a bunch of money. I mean, I think that can be nice and it does make life a little bit easier, but she just really wants me and my time. And she wants me to make sure I'm present with my kids, our kids as well. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I've never tried to send my wife a calendar invite for a date. And, and, but, but I laugh because I live off my calendar, right? Yeah. She knows that, you know, I, I, I tell a lot of people this, I get 95% of my calendar done, right? Because, Hey, there's one out of 20 things a week that probably gets changed. Something's got to adapt under maybe no fault of my own either. Just, it just happens, right? Schedules change. But I would say 19 out of the 20 things on my calendar get done. And Saturday morning, I was like, man, this weekend, I want to get like these 15 things done. Didn't calendar those things, right? I just like, sure. in my mind, I got these 15 things. How many of those things, Casey, do you think I got done? 20%. <laughs> Jeez, I would have loved 20%, bro. Three, are you crazy? I got yeah. two done. That was awesome. So like two out of 15, man. That's yeah. not how I live. So it's, I don't, I don't want to say it's sad to say, but it, like, this is what's important. And, and a calendar invite makes assured that, I'm present and valued. And, and I've heard that story before where kids say, you know, man, I wish I could be a client. That's rough. Right? Like, wait a minute. What do you mean you wish we could be? A well, clients get on my dad's calendar, you know, like, and he spends hours with them. And 
if I could just get in there and get a, be a client on his calendar, man, I would arrive. And you're like, oh, you imagine. Yeah, that's yeah. not good, man. Like <laughs> these are the days where you realize like, all right, dad of the year out. Something's got to change immediately, right? <laughs> like this is not the right message I'm sending here. And so it's a hard thing. I've never done it because of some of the stigma on it. But, but ultimately, it makes a lot of sense to me in my world and how it works and how it works well and effective for me. Now that's not for everybody, but that's a really cool thing, Casey. I think that it's like you said, I love that you said, Hey, she didn't love it at first, but the result she's loved. And that's what people got to realize what's in it for me. Like, how is this going to make my life easier, my life better? And whenever you're embracing change or trying to foster change in an organization, people are always going to look at it from a what's in it for me. And if you can show them how it's going to make their life better, then you got it. Yeah. And I think that's a, we, we can't forget that, right? We are still wanting what we want, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, I laugh and you and I, from a baseball perspective, goes, you know, I don't like change. I don't like change. And I'm like, oh, well, let me give you this 1930s wood bat, or you can use the new, you know, aluminum drop seven ounce against this great pitcher. And what do you choose if you want to be successful? Because I'm telling you right now, if you're giving me the choice, I'm taking the aluminum drop seven, blah, 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 because I got a chance, right? Yeah. Like I'm going to swing this 35 ounce, 32 inch bat. That's going to be made out of maple and not brush. You know, like I'm going to be like, man, this is like swinging a tree trunk. So, you know, there's some things that are just not serving. And I, and I tell everybody, oh, you don't like change. Like, no, I don't like change. I'm like, oh, well, let me give you an iPhone seven. Or, or do you want the 14? Well, the 14 is a lot better. Like, yeah, you don't mind that change. Right. So we kind of pick and choose our changes but it has to serve us. And I love that. All right, Case. Last thing, what would you tell somebody struggling today that they're out there? Things aren't going the way. They're not, they're not winning the game. Things are, the measurement is like, hey, it is showing that they're losing and they need to find a way to win. What do you start with? What would you recommend for them today? Well, figure out somebody that's winning and ask them how they're doing it. Yeah, it's find somebody. Simple as that. I think so. I, if you want to have a great marriage, and you're not winning. Like find a couple that you really admire or find a coach that can help you. If you're not winning in your business, find somebody that's won or winning that you admire and ask them to help you. I think that's it. Like, Don't try to recreate the wheel. Find other people that have already solved the problems you're trying to solve and just ask them how. And then maybe ask them for their help because they're going to tell you the secret or give you the stuff. But at the end of the day, it's hard. And implementing it is the hardest thing. So I think it's having people that can check in on you, hold you accountable, or create that sense of accountability I think is really important. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Winners find a way with Casey Cavell. Casey, tell them again where they can find you. LinkedIn, Twitter, all at Casey Cavell. Yep. Casey Cavell. I'm on there. Cavell.com. And then we have a podcast, The Dugout CEO, which is all about, you know, helping people become MVPs of what they do in business and life and all that kind of fun stuff. And uh, yeah, Trent, this has been a ton of fun. Yeah, thanks, Casey, for coming on. For everybody else, thank you for joining us on the Winners Find a Way show every Friday, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 a.m. Pacific, live on Facebook, LinkedIn, and our Leadership Idiot YouTube channel. Check it out. Podcast on all the major networks. Share it. Like us. Do all the cool things. Follow us. It'll be a great, uh, great ride, I guarantee it. Until next time, we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast. Trent, together with the leaders who shared their learning and experiences through this show, are grateful for allowing them to help and support you on your journey to becoming your best. Write a review, rate us five stars, and share this episode to your network.